Thank you, Rupert Williams. Thank you for that beautiful song. He's been faithful to me. Amen. Well, praise God. You are a part of the family, the family of Rosewood Church of the Nazarene, whether you live nearby or far away. In case some of you have just joined us in the last minute or two, uh, perhaps you didn't hear Pastor Lisa's announcement just earlier stating that beginning this Good Friday, Good Friday at 11.30 a.m., April the 2nd, and Easter Sunday at 11.30 a.m., that's April the 4th, we will be having our in-person services, all right? We will be starting once again our in-person services here at Rosewood Church of the Nazarene. Feel free to join us in the church building this Good Friday and Easter Sunday and on the Sundays after that. We do have safety procedures in place, such as we ask, please, that everyone wear a mask. Everyone's temperature will be taken as you enter into the building, just to make sure no one has any kind of a fever. A little reminder to please stay six feet apart and leave three seats. Leave three seats between yourself and anyone else in the row, unless you're of the same household. And every second row in the sanctuary is being and will be blocked off with ribbons so that again there is separation between yourself and people in front of you or behind you. Amen. Oh, by the way, as, as I'm getting into the message in a moment, I want to say, I want to say hello to a little friend of mine, two-year-old Rain. Rain, hi. Hello. Her mommy told me that every time she was watching the service, she uh, talks to Pastor Nick on the TV. So today I just want to say hi to you, Rain. God bless you, sweetheart. Amen. Well, most of you know that I normally wear white shirts, right? Right. Well, last week I wore a black shirt with a white tie, which seemed to bless some of you. And today, if you haven't noticed as yet, I am wearing a pink shirt pink shirt with a, a pink tie. Now, some of you might be wondering, what's happening? You might be asking, is Pastor Nick going through a midlife crisis? Hey, Jan, is that what you're thinking? No, all it boils down to is some of the ladies and men in our church have encouraged me to become uh, more adventurous and wear some different colors, shirts, and ties. And uh, some, of them, some of them have even encouraged me. Can you believe this? Some of them have even encouraged me to wear jeans with slits and rips in them. I mean, can you believe this? What's gone wrong with some of these folks? I mean, and even T-shirts, even T-shirts. Uh, was that you, Pastor Lisa? Yes, it was. Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't know. Can you imagine that? Oh, scandalous is my wife. <laughs> um, you know, my dear Aunt Ruth from heaven is probably saying, don't listen to them, Pastor Nick, don't listen to them. Wear your white shirts. Anyway, all right. My friends, today, March 28, 2021, is, of course, Palm Sunday. 
It is the Sunday, the Sunday on which Jesus, the Son of God, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey in what is sometimes referred to as the triumphal entry, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Palm Sunday is obviously a week before Easter Sunday. And this event is recorded, by the way, in all four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It is called Palm Sunday because as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, people were so happy. They were so delighted to see Jesus. And they knew that he was of extreme importance. They, uh, they, they took branches they took branches from the palm and olive trees that, that lined the road. They waved those branches. They, they waved the palm branches in the air just shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means, which means God saves or save us now in Hebrew. That's what it means. Save us now. God saves. They also put some of the palm branches on the road in honor of Jesus' arrival. The palm branches symbolized victory, triumph, peace, goodness, and eternal life. Palm Sunday is the first day of the Holy Week. Let's now read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, beginning at verse 28. Luke 19 Verse 28 says, After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt, just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout. They began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. Amen. My friends, Palm Sunday can inspire you and me and all of us. Palm Sunday can inspire you. And that is the title of today's message. How Palm Sunday can inspire you. First of all, Palm Sunday can inspire you to do what you got to do. That's right. Palm Sunday can inspire you to do what you got to do. 
And by the way, I do know that using the words gotta do is grammatically incorrect. I use it because that is how a lot of people would probably say it. To be grammatically correct, I should say, Palm Sunday can inspire you to do what you need to do or what you have to do. Jesus knew that he had to go to Jerusalem. Jesus knew that he had to go to, to Jerusalem and that he would be mocked, treated shamefully, spat upon, whipped, and eventually killed. We read of these facts in Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 31. Here's what it says. Luke 18, verse 31. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus said, Listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans, and he will be mocked, treated shamefully, and, and spit upon. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. He will rise again. After Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 54 and 55, those verses say, So, from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. And as a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and left Jerusalem. He went to a place near the wilderness, to the village of Ephraim, and stayed there with his disciples. The Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 57 says, Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. There was a price on Jesus' head. Jesus knew that when he went to Jerusalem again, he would, as Luke 18, verses 32 and 33 declare, that he would be mocked, uh, treated shamefully, spit upon, whipped, and killed. Nevertheless, Jesus did what he had to do, even though it was going to be hard and agonizing. My friends, there are times in your life and mine when you gotta do what we gotta do. For some of you, that may mean going back. That may mean going back to school to finish your education or to add to your education. At first thought, you might think, oh no, oh no, all that studying. I'm not a bookworm. I'm not an A student. Over the years, different people in our church have said to me something like, Pastor Nick, I, I didn't really want to go back to school, but I did what I knew I had to do. I went back to school, 
And now I have the career that I always wanted, and I have a salary that meets my needs. The question is, are you someone? Are you someone that needs to go back to school? Others of you are thinking of other things which you got to do. Some of you are thinking, i gotta, I got to paint the house, which I don't feel like doing. i got to fix that leaky tap that's been driving my wife crazy. Others, i got to replace the toilet handle and chain so my family doesn't have to stick their hand down the toilet to flush, to flush the toilet each time. Or, i got to fix that lock on the washroom door so it locks properly. i got to shampoo or wash the carpets in the house. i, I got to take the car in to get that slow leak in the, uh, in the tire fixed before we're stuck again. Others might be thinking, i got to lose weight. i gotta, I got to get my income tax done before April 30th so I don't have to pay any late fees. And others of you might be thinking, I gotta, I gotta phone my mother or my father or brother or sister, son or daughter or friend that I've been ignoring. And some of you are thinking, I need to forgive that person who wronged me, and I must ask for forgiveness from that person, from that person that I have wronged. And some of you are thinking, I gotta stop. I gotta stop being unfaithful to my husband or to my wife. Or I, I should stop ripping off my employer. I gotta stop my alcohol or stop my drug abuse. I gotta stop, stop abusing my children. And, and uh, some, some youth or grown up children perhaps need to say, I gotta stop abusing, stop abusing my parents. Right? And others might be thinking, I need, to have, I need to have that medical procedure or operation done which I have been putting off. In going into Jerusalem, when Jesus said he was going, what he did, Jesus did what he had to do. Let Palm Sunday inspire you, encourage you to do what you gotta do. Amen? Amen. Sound room, can you please put the lights on in the balcony, would you? There's a second point of inspiration that I want to direct your attention to now, and it is this. It's beautiful. Palm Sunday can inspire you to overcome your fears. That's right. Palm Sunday can inspire you to overcome your fears. Think about it. Jesus knew that in the days ahead after entering Jerusalem, he knew that he would be mocked and treated shamefully and spit upon, flogged with a whip and crucified. Jesus had good reasons, very good reasons to be afraid. 
Now, some of you might say, well, Jesus was God in the flesh, and so he had more power to overcome his fears. And that is true. But he was still God and man. He was the God-man. And no one, no one wants to be mocked, spat upon, whipped, and crucified. But Jesus overcame the foe of fear. Yes, he overcame the foe of fear. The triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem can also inspire you and you and you and you, all of us, to overcome our fears. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled. Are afraid. Jesus wants to help you and me overcome our fears. Is there a fear? Is there a fear that you are perhaps struggling with? All of us have been dealing with COVID-19 for over a year. What I am about to say is not, what, am I, what I am about to say is not intended to be a put down at all on anyone. I want to make sure you understand that. What, am I, what I am about to say, I say out of sincere love and concern. I have learned, I have discovered that over this past year, of COVID-19, some of you, in fact many, some of you have for the most part stayed in your homes and have almost, almost never stepped outside of your home, condo, or apartment. You've ordered all your groceries online and anything, anything you have needed, you have ordered online and or had someone drop off, and most things have been delivered to your door. Others of you have perhaps rushed into a grocery store for 15 to 20 minutes with your mask, face, face shield, and uh, plastic gloves to protect yourselves from COVID-19, and then you have rushed home. There's nothing wrong with that, but to follow me on this, please. I have discovered that some people have developed a serious fear of going outside. A fear of going outside because you have been inside for so long and you have heard so much about COVID-19 and the variants. It is starting or has already started to take an emotional and a psychological toll on you. Now stick with me. I want, to make, I want to make the following suggestions to you to help you get over the fear, the fear of even going outside, all right? So follow me on this. And if you've got, if you've got a notepad or, or paper and pen, take some notes here to help you remember these truths. I'm going to give you some Bible verses that are going to help you write them down, all right? So here we are. A, A, some suggestions. A, 
Stop watching hours and hours of news about COVID-19 and the variants. Okay? Write it down, please. Stop watching hours and hours about COVID-19 and the variants. Yes, yes, it is wise to be informed, but some of you know more about the doctors than the scientists than they know. Or you think you do. All right? It's wise to be informed, but when you watch and listen to news excessively, it can unnecessarily build up your fears. Yes. Then, another suggestion that can help you. Point B. Step outside on your porch, backyard, or front lawn for, for 15 minutes each day. Breathe in the fresh air and soak in the air. If you happen to have a suit on, go, ah, breathe in, breathe in the fresh air. Soak in, soak in the fresh air. Soak in the sun. And then, once you've gained some confidence just going outside, then you can go to step C. C is this. Go for a walk. Take a walk in your neighborhood park or walk around the block or drive to a nearby park and, and go for a walk. Then... Point D, these are some suggestions that can help you overcome the fear of going outside. Simple, something simple as that. D, read Bible verses on overcoming fear. All right? Now on your screen, you're going to see some of the Bible verses that I am about to quote, and I deliberately have arranged to have these uh, references put on the screen so you can write them down and you can refer to them uh, on other occasions. Such as the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus said, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Don't be troubled or afraid. Here's another one. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of, of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Isn't that lovely? Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. In Psalm 27, verse 1, write it down, Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? Why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? Wow. And Psalm 46, verses 1 and 2, 
God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear. So we will not fear. Amen. In Psalm 56, 56 verses 3 and 4. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust. I will put my trust in you. That is the Lord. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? Amen. In Isaiah 41 verse 13. For I hold you by your right hand, I, the Lord your God, and I say to you, don't be afraid. I am here to help you. Don't be afraid. I'm here to help you. My friends, you can find other Bible verses on overcoming fear by going, by going to your concordance at the back of your Bible if there is one. Some Bibles have them and some don't. And furthermore, you can look up Bible verses on, on the theme of overcoming fear on your computer or on your, your smartphone. But the bottom line is soak up. Soak up those Bible verses. Soak them up. Absorb them. Let them sink deep into your heart, deep into your mind, and you will find that the Word of God helps you to overcome the fear of Something simple is going outside and will help you overcome many, many other fears that you might be wrestling with. Amen. And don't forget this next truth. I could have put this near the beginning or right here. Doesn't matter. Point E, point E. Pray for victory. Pray for victory over your fear. Psalm 34, verses 4 and 5 declare, I prayed I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. He freed me. He freed me from all my fears. Why don't you say that with me? Those of you in the sanctuary here, those of you watching on television or on your phones and your computers, say it with me. He freed me from all my fears. Amen? Say it again. Come on. Come on. Come on now. He freed me from all my fears. Say it again, say it again. He freed me from all my fears. Hallelujah. Yes, that's the word of God. Amen. Amen. Palm Sunday can inspire you to, be, to overcome your fears just as Jesus did. What fear? What fear do you need to overcome? Here is a third truth now from Palm Sunday which can help you. In all my previous years of bringing messages on Palm Sunday, I honestly do not recall bringing forth this point or truth before. Number three, Palm Sunday can inspire you to understand that the mundane matters. 
mundane, M as in Michael, U, N, D as in doctor, A, N, E. The mundane matters. What does the word mundane mean? Well, it means things like commonplace, routine, day-to-day stuff, tedious, sometimes boring stuff, Jan, monotonous. The word mundane is often used in a negative sense, although it doesn't have to be used in a negative sense. Mundane tasks are often repetitive, boring, and yet very necessary. Palm Sunday can inspire you to understand that the mundane matters. Say it with me, would you? Mundane matters. Say it again. Mundane matters. This truth came to my mind when I read of how Jesus asked two of his disciples to go and get a young donkey for him. Look at uh, Luke 19, verse 29. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that donkey, that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. The two disciples were were asked, they were asked to do donkey business. It was an ordinary thing to ask. It was mundane, very mundane. What is interesting is that there was a time when the disciples had, had actually argued as to which one of them Which one of them was going to have the most special place in Jesus' kingdom? And now, it's kind of humorous, and now he asks a couple of them to go and do donkey business. I have uh, have a suspicion, by the way, Bria, I have a suspicion that the people who will have the most special place in Jesus' heavenly kingdom are the people who are most willing to do donkey business here on earth. Yeah, yeah. By the way, I I have a little bit of experience with donkeys. I, I was born in the country of Greece, And when I was around four years old, three or four, my father put me on the family donkey and he put my younger brother Jim behind me uh, on the donkey for us to go somewhere. As father was getting ready to go, something, something spooked, something spooked the donkey and he kind of bolted, he just jumped and bolted, whatever you want to call it. I was thrown off on one side and my little brother was thrown off 
on the other side. Nevertheless, I still like donkeys. Uh huh. I still like donkeys. Uh, here are some fun facts. You probably never look up anything on donkeys, so I thought just for the fun of it, I'll just tell you a few little things that I looked up for your interest, such as the donkey has been used as a working animal for at least 5,000 years. All right? A donkey can live 25 to 30 years in the wild. A fully grown donkey can weigh about 480 kilograms, which is about 1,000 pounds. You don't want one to sit on you, okay? A donkey can actually travel up to 24 kilograms, I'm sorry, kilograms. <laughs> a donkey can travel up to 24 kilometers per hour when they, when they want to run, if you can convince them to run, okay? Don't try to outrun a donkey. They can beat you in most cases. Uh, here's another interesting fact. The London Times has said that the number of people who die each year from donkey attacks is far greater than the number of people who die in plane crashes. You didn't know that, did you? See what you learn when you come to church? <laughs> I don't know, by the way. I don't know how the London Times got their information, but I thought it was very interesting. And by the way, donkeys, donkeys can pull about twice their body weight across flat, even terrain. All right, there's your lesson on donkeys. Let's return now to the truth of how Palm Sunday can inspire you to understand that the mundane matters. Oh, I just thought of something. You know, normally when people buy cars, they ask the question, uh, how much horsepower does it have? What if we were to ask, how much donkey power does it have? <laughs> uh, 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 at least Raven gets my occasional joke. All right. The fact, the fact that Jesus asked his disciples to get him a donkey can inspire you to understand that the mundane matters. The mundane, the ordinary things of life really do matter. For those of you, for instance, for those of you who have babies, you know that when your baby needs a diaper change, you need to change that diaper. If you don't change the diaper, besides the smell, your little one might develop what? Diaper rash. The mundane matters. Your children, your babies become miserable if they get diaper rash. Sometimes, by the way, sometimes the, the mundane can still be fun. You know, it, it can be fun. Uh, there, there are occasions when I joyfully babysit our little grandchildren. When one and a half year old little Paxton, for instance, needs a diaper change, I'll put him on the change table. And I'll say to my little guy, I'll, I'll say, Paxton, hands up, hands up. And he'll give me a big smile and he'll put his hands up. And, um, and then he, he smiles and, and giggles and, and is very cooperative. 
with a diaper change. Sometimes he wants to play a little game with me, you know. He'll put his hands up and then he'll just sneakily put his hands down and say, hands up, hands up. He'll put them back up again, give me a big giggle. And then as I'm trying to change the diaper, he'll, he'll put his hands down, uh, hands up. And there they go again. And he just, he just has a grand old time with one little diaper change, okay? Well, as you saw, there are a few pictures there of my little buddy, my little grandson, and I think the last one was of him and my wife, Cindy. There are all kinds of mundane things, aren't there? Paying your electrical bill. By the way, wasn't that a nice picture of my wife, Cindy? Say yes, please, otherwise she'll bawl me out for showing it. Yes, I did get her permission, by the way, okay? There are many mundane things, aren't there? Paying your electrical bill or phone bill or gas bill or your internet bill is a mundane thing. But if you don't pay it, you will what? You'll soon not have electricity nor gas to heat your home nor internet nor the phone, whatever. Taking out the garbage is mundane but necessary. My friends, whether you live in a house, a condo, or an apartment, most homes have an air filter which, which you should replace every two to four months so that your, your furnace, so that your furnace can work properly. It's on your furnace, if you didn't know. It's a mundane thing replacing the air filter. But if you don't do it, if you don't do it, your furnace can get damaged. Before, before any winter, you need to turn off the water, the water to your garden hose from inside the house so it won't freeze during the winter and, and that way you prevent a flood in your basement causing a lot of damage. If you have a car, if you have a car, you need to change the oil every 6,000 to 16,000 kilometers depending on whether you use regular oil or synthetic oil, depending on the manufacturer's instructions and so on. I remember some years ago, I remember a mechanic from our church telling me how a customer, a customer uh, took his car into their dealership, car dealership, uh, into the shop for major, very major engine problems. In fact, the engine needed to be replaced. And uh, that gentleman should have changed his oil every 6,000 kilometers, but uh, the record showed that he had not, he had not changed the oil in 36,000 kilometers when he brought it in with this big problem. Believe it or not, the customer, <laughs> the customer expected the dealership to give him a new car. He said, well, it's not my problem. You guys have to give me a new car. And of course, the dealership said to him, no way, Jose. You haven't changed the oil in 36,000 kilometers. You're supposed to change it every 6,000. And of course, he was not a happy customer with the response he received from the dealership. What are we saying? We're saying the mundane matters. There are many things that you and I have to do which seem to be mundane. It's commonplace, it's routine, it can be tedious and sometimes boring, but the mundane matters. My friends, let the donkey business in, on Palm Sunday remind you of the importance of doing the mundane. 
Don't overlook it. Don't see it as insignificant. It is important. The mundane matters. So, we have talked about how Palm Sunday can inspire you to do what? Number one, to do what you gotta do. Palm Sunday inspires us to do what? Number two, inspires you to understand, to overcome your fears. Inspires you to overcome your fears. And number three, Palm Sunday inspires you to understand that the mundane matters. Yes. And now, here is our fourth beautiful truth. Number four, Palm Sunday can inspire you to make Jesus king of your life. King of your life. This truth came to my mind as I read verses 36 through 38 of Luke 19. Verse 36 says, As he, Jesus, rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where, he, where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Verse 38, blessings on the king who comes. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. The crowds spreading their garments on the road was a way, was a way of showing honor and saying, I surrender to you, Jesus. I surrender. Dr. William Barclay beautifully writes these comments. He says, Jesus proposed to ride into Jerusalem in a way that would be an unmistakable claim to be the Messiah, God's anointed king. Dr. Barclay goes on and says, it was a deliberate claim. It was a deliberate claim to be king. A deliberate fulfilling of the picture in Zechariah 9.9. But even in this, Jesus underlined the kind of kingship which he claimed. The donkey in Palestine was not the lowly beast that it is in this country. It was a noble, it was noble. Only in war did kings ride upon a horse. When they came in peace, they came upon a donkey. So Jesus, by this action, came as a king. He came as a king of love and peace, and not as the conquering military hero whom the mob expected and awaited. Zechariah 9, verse 9, by the way, written about 500, 500 years earlier, says this, it says, Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Luke 19, verse 36 says, Blessings on the king who comes 
in the name of the Lord. Is Jesus your king? Is Jesus your king? Please listen to Dr. S.M. Lockridge on the subject of that's my king. That's my king. Yes. My king was born king. The Bible says he's a seven-way king. He's a king of the Jews. That's a racial king. He's a king of Israel. That's a national king. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. Well, I wonder if you know him. Do you know him? Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? David said the heavens declare the glory of God. And the fundament showeth his handiwork. My king is the only one whom there no means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his soulless supply. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. Well, well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. And he's impartially magical. That's my king. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in high criticism. He's a fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. And that's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. Well, he, he's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He's star God and he dies. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Well, my king is a key of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. He's a master of the mighty. He's a captain of the populace. He's a head of the heroes. He's a leader of the legislators. He's an overseer of the overcomers. He's a governor of governors. He's a prince of princes. 
He's the King of Kings, and He's the Lord of the Lord. That's my King. Yeah. Yeah. That's my King. My King. Yeah. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him for you, but he, he's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yeah. He, he's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you, the heavens of heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explaining him. You can't get him out of your mouth. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah! He always has been. And he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor. And he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him, and there'll be nobody after him. You can't him, teach him, and he's not going to resign. That's my Time, time is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory. Hey! All the power belongs to my king. We around here talking about black power and white power and green power, but it's God's power. Time is the power. Yeah. And the glory. We finally get prestige and honor and glory for ourselves, but the glory is all his. Yes. Time is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And ever, and ever, how long is that? And ever, and ever, and ever, and ever. And when you get through with all of the forever, then amen. Is Jesus your king? Let us pray. Lord, on this beautiful day, this beautiful Palm Sunday, we want to make this decision, these personal choices, these personal decisions, to say, I decide to make Jesus king of my life, to make him king of my being. Yes, 
We know you want us to surrender our hearts, to surrender our lives to you. And so we come. We come humbly. We repent of our sins. Please forgive us. Forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, of my, my sins. I repent. Viewers, would you say that to the Lord? I repent of my sin. I ask you to forgive me. And I'm grateful that I know I can be forgiven because Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. Yes, for my sins. I receive by faith your forgiveness, Lord. Thank you for forgiving me. I receive your spirit. Yes, come into my heart, come into my life by your spirit and begin to make me and mold me into the, the man, the woman, the teenager, the child that you want me to become. Make me and mold me, Lord. And I thank you. I thank you for giving me the promise of heaven, a place in heaven with the King of kings, the Lord of lords, not because I have become good enough, not because I have stored up enough brownie points, but because Jesus paid the price for my sins on the cross of Calvary. And Jesus rose triumphant over the grave on the third day. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of heaven. I choose to make Jesus king of my life today. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. And amen. My friend, when you make Jesus the king of your life, then a song like Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine, becomes very precious to you. It becomes very, very much a part of you and you want to sing it and express it. And so as the musicians sing, whether it's Blessed Assurance or whatever song, may the words become a part of who you are, expressing your praise to the Lord. Amen and amen.